0: Good morning, my high school brothers and sisters. It's good to be with y'all today. I count it a blessing and a privilege to open up the word of God before you all. As he said, my name is Paul. If we haven't met, and I haven't met a lot of you, I would love the opportunity to meet you uh, after our service today. It'll be a blessing and a privilege for me. I ask all of you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter six, verses 15 through 23. Romans chapter six, verses 15 through 23 continue your guys' series through this marvelous book God has revealed and given to us. You're taking notes. The title for my sermon will be Slaves to Sin No More. Slaves to Sin No More. Romans six fifteen through 23. As you land there, uh, please join me Yet again in a word of prayer, Father in heaven, we pray to you in Jesus' name, that lovely name, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, the trustworthy one, the king of all kings, he who saves to the uttermost and always lives to intercede for us, the Lord of all creation and the Lord of our lives, of those who have embraced him. We thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you for his resurrected, ascended glory. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for every soul and image-bearer before me here. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our minds and hearts to illuminate the truth of your word. I pray, Father, that you would give me words in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the gospel. I pray uh, that you would cause the hearts and minds of uh, these young ones, to pay attention to your word, set our minds' attention and our hearts' affection upon Christ and his word. And through the proclamation of your truth, may Jesus be exalted, believed upon, worshipped, and followed. We give you glory, God, in Christ's name. Amen. This point I'll read, Romans six fifteen through 23. God's word says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. into lawlessness, leading to more more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So reads the word of the living God. Many of you have heard even last week and know about that on June 17th of this year, Juneteenth became a national holiday in our country. The day's name is a combination between the month June and the word 19th. It looks back to the Civil War in the United States, which which was primarily fought over over African-American slavery in this country. In Juneteenth commemorates the day where a Union general went and told slaves in Texas they were free and slaves no more. That was June 19th, 1865. But it really had been since January 1st, 1863, that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, a document that set all American slaves in the South free. But in some places, That wasn't known, or it was intentionally kept a secret. So until Juneteenth, some some African Americans were declared free, but still living as slaves. And similarly, and unfortunately so, some people, even Christians, or maybe some of you, believe that the divinely declared freedom we're given in the gospel of grace means we can live as slaves to sin with, with no consequences. Translation, the freedom of God's grace means I can sin like crazy and do whatever I want. Or at least can lead you to ask the question if that's the case. But God's word before us corrects that thinking and answers that question if you have it. Similar to last week's question in Romans 6.1, shall we sin like crazy since God's grace abounds? The answer was no, you're united to Christ. Today in verse 15, the question is posed, since we are believers under God's grace, united with Christ, can we freely sin like crazy? And we'll see the same answer with a different spin. Beloved believer, you are a slave to sin no more. Rather, we live anew in the sweetness of slavery to Jesus, the better master and lovely Lord of life. So my central truth for you guys today is that living under grace isn't freedom to sin but empowering fuel to obey Jesus from the heart. Living under grace isn't freedom to sin, but empowering fuel to obey Jesus from the heart. In other words, God's grace frees you not to sin, but to obey Jesus from the heart. And we're going to approach this text by looking at three reasons the grace of God isn't licensed to sin. So that you'll gladly obey Jesus from the heart. Three reasons the grace of God isn't licensed to sin, so that you'd gladly obey Jesus from the heart. That first reason is in verses 15 through 16. We have a new master. The first reason the grace of God isn't licensed to sin is that Christians have a new master. Look with me to verse 15. God's word says and ask, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Some of you may read this and say, sounds like a logical question to me. God's free grace, sin still is real. So I can sin and God's grace is going to cover it, right? Though you may argue it's logical, it's a question that misses the point of God's, fr- God's grace, which sets us free to belong to Jesus. We're no longer under the dominion or the tyranny of sin as Christians. We don't stand before God on the basis of our law-keeping, and that's good news, right? But instead, we stand united to Christ by faith, We're recipients of grace. We've been saved, rescued from the wrath of God due to our sin, justified, legally declared righteous before God. We've been redeemed, set free, purchased, belong to Jesus now, and we're in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Every Christian in this room, the law revealed our sin and our need for a Savior, and in coming to Christ, we're under grace. But the question in verse 15, it's essentially saying, wow, being under this grace is amazing. Now I can freely sin against God and his grace covers it, right? But in this thinking, God's grace wouldn't lead this hypothetical person to worship. It's just treating God's grace as bail money over, over and over again. And that's not love, nor reflecting the transformative power of God's grace from our new master in Jesus. And the scripture says of Jesus, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. But just using that grace to continue sinning is to completely disregard what God's grace actually does and gives to believers. And it's like saying, I should just disobey my parents every day and everything I do, because I know they are obligated to always love and take care of me. God says they have to do so, and the law says they have to do so as well. But you know that's not right, nor is that love. But it's also deeper than that. Are we to sin, because we're not under the law, but under grace, Sin is not just doing bad stuff or random wrong action. Sin is personally against God, missing his mark intentionally. Sin is cosmic treason, relational rebellion, creation-spiting creator, pride saying we know better than God himself. It's idolatry saying saying something is more worthy of my delight and worship than God. It's thankless ignoring of God who sustains your very breath and heartbeat right now. One commentator said sin is the pollution of the soul, like smog to the sky. And sin is also a dominating tyrant. It's an evil dictator, enemy of God and man, and offends God, who is beautifully holy. God is beautifully holy, good, true, loving, providing the source of our existence, worthy of all of your worship. And for the Christian, our Savior, our just justifier, the mercy and grace giver. So considering the ugliness of sin, In the goodness of God, in the amazingness of his grace, how can you ask the question, since I'm under grace, does that just mean I can sin against God and know his grace to just cover it? The question says, should I take advantage of being under his grace by sinning? When in reality, we don't earn or deserve God's grace. It's a free gift of his favor and blessings that compels us to worship him, to be in awe of him, to delight, to obey and live for him. The grace upon grace given to us in Christ Jesus is not given for you to keep on sinning. So what's Paul's answer? The Apostle Paul, that is. Verse 15. It's a strong one. He says, by no means, exclamation point even. It's, Paul's essentially saying, God forbid, may it never be, no, a thousand times no. Living under grace doesn't mean you can just be out here sinning. And then verse 16, Paul goes on to say, if you'd read with me, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul in verse 16 is continuing his answer, and he's appealing to realities that we all know to be true. And he's answering the question with the question, a rhetorical question. When you offer yourself up for service to someone you belong to whomever you obey. It's like when someone presents themselves for military service, they're giving themselves over to whatever and wherever the military needs them. And Paul is saying in verse 16, you are the slave to whatever and whomever you present your life to. And that word present there, when it says present yourselves in verse 16, It means to be given over to someone's use, available for whatever they need, at their disposal, in complete compliance and service to them, like an assistant coach to to a head coach, or an assistant teacher, or a butler, or a maid. But Paul uses the word slave because slaves are under the reign and rule of a master. Slaves are obedient. Loyal, devoted, faithful, and submitted. And this text shows us that everyone, every single one of you, is a slave to something. Everyone has a master. Naturally, we're all slaves of sin since we're born sinners by nature and choice. And that leads to death. But through the gospel, believers have a new master in Jesus, And we're slaves of obedience to him, as verse 16 says, and that leads to righteousness. But I do want to pause for a moment and to help you form a healthy Christian worldview. One reason Paul uses the word slave here is that one-third of the Roman Empire, the context in which he wrote this letter, one-third of the empire were slaves. So the Roman church, they understood this, and they could see how not just one-third of people, but everyone are slaves to sin, because it was an evil, messed-up, fallen empire and world like we live in today. But believers become slaves to Christ, meaning we belong to Him, and we exclusively obey Him, and and, and we gladly submit to Jesus. And, And it'll say slave eight times in this text, And I know in our context and country, slavery, rightly so, has a bad connotation and can leave a bad taste in your mouth. It can make you say, why does the Bible talk about slavery? But you should know, and if you want to know verses, you can talk to me afterwards, American slavery is completely condemned by Scripture in the Old and the New Testament as man-stealing. Slavery in the Roman Empire was a fallen, sinful world reality, not celebrated nor affirmed by Scripture here or anywhere else. And there are many ways that Roman slavery is different than American slavery was, like it wasn't race-based, for instance. But nonetheless, slavery does provide a picture for the apostle writing Scripture. It does provide a picture of total, consistent, obedient, submissive loyalty to a master. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is using the ugly, fallen world system of slavery, teaching when you present yourself to sin, you present yourself as sin's slave for sin's purpose, for its possession, for its use. And sin as a master will only lead you to death. Even Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So he's saying all this, Paul's saying, Why would a believer under grace present themselves as slaves to sin? He answers verse 15's question with a question in verse 16. Why would you, in God's grace, allow yourself to be a slave to pleasure, a slave to the sin of lust, lying, pride, drama, or whatever it would be? You're under God's grace, and grace frees you from that, not allows you to remain enslaved to it. Paul's asking, Christian, under grace, why would you present yourself in this way? You have a new master, a new way of obedience, and a new destiny of righteousness. Hear me, young person. Jesus is a better master, and obedience to him is sweet. It leads to righteousness, the text tells us, being right with God and living right before God. Pastor John said, because the Christian has a new relationship with God, namely, we're under grace, he also has a new relationship to sin. For the first time, he is able not to live sinfully and able also for the first time to live righteously. The grace of God saves us from sin and empowers us to say no to it. So why would you submit yourself to sin's slavery? Living under grace isn't freely sinning because As believers, we don't present ourselves as slaves to sin, but as slaves to obedience, to obey our new and better master in Jesus. So thinking practically about this, why this matters, how it can affect your life, I hope you guys take from this text a right view of sin. It is personal against an eternal God with eternal consequences apart from Christ. Sin isn't just wrong stuff, but a tyrant, an enslaving master that will lead you to death. Be in awe of God's grace that saved you from sin's penalty and its power. Please, young person, don't use God's grace as an excuse or as a means to be a slave to sin. And if you do, it shows you may have never have partaken or received God's grace at all. Titus 2, through 14 tells us that God's grace not only saves sinners, but it trains us, it transforms us. Titus 2, through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And then verses 13 and 14 go on to say how the grace of God focuses our, our sights upon Christ. Grace not only covers sin, but transforms sinners to look to and look like Christ. And with that, I also want to encourage every single one of you to give yourself to Jesus a better master. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Embrace him as your Lord, Savior, and King. Sin is a terrible master. You know exactly what it leads to. Guilt, shame, addiction, trauma, tragedy, strife, eternal death eventually. But Jesus is the lovely Lord, a wonderful master who loves us and gave himself for us who's holy, so he'll never do you wrong or sin against you, who never lead you astray. He's infinitely wise, so he knows what he's doing and what he needs to tell you as master. He's life giving, not death giving. He's merciful, patient, strong and kind, nourishing, cherishing, a good shepherd. And he's committed to presenting us before himself, holy and without blemish. And Jesus as master sees us not only as slaves, but as sons and daughters, his own body and his beloved bride. So Christian, you belong to Jesus. You're under his reign and rule, not sin. Present yourself to him daily in prayer by giving yourself to his word, by taking seriously what being a part of his church means. Present yourself to Jesus with who you're friends with, with what you watch and listen to, by living to please him over pleasing people and by following him wherever and through whatever he takes you. Sin sucks as a master. Slavery to obedience and obeying Christ is right. And it's true life that liberates you to be all that God made you to be. So we're looking at in this text three reasons why the grace of God isn't licensed to sin so that you'll gladly obey Jesus from the heart. The first reason is that Christians, we have a new master. The second reason is in verses 17 through 19. As Christians, we have new hearts. We have new hearts. Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. I love how, in the beginning of verse 17, Paul has to break out in a word of praise as he considers that we were slaves to sin, but now God has delivered us from the domain of that darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Paul, just in the middle of the passage, says, Thanks be to God for this truth, that we're no longer slaves because we belong to Jesus. That's a reason for thanksgiving every day. Like some of you may have transferred high schools. You, by your house and address, should go to this school. You transfer and go to another one. What happens is salvation is not just forgiveness and rescue, but God, by his sovereign love, grace, and mercy, transfers us from slavery to sin to the reign and rule of Jesus, slavery to him. That's where he transferred you to, young Christian. And this transfer isn't just a change of location, like going from this high school to that high school, but it's an inward transformation. It, it gets down to the heart level. You have a new heart. You've been born again. That's why the text says, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You guys have went through in this book the fact that it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And with us all falling short of the glory of God being sinners, that also comes with hard hearts that are intent only on evil and our love being enslaved to sin. But when Jesus saves us, it's not just a new start. You received a new heart, a heart that beats for the glory of God and loves Christ. The old passed away and the new has come. Coming to Christ, it's not just behavior modification, but a heart transformation, not just outward conformity and behavior to look good in front of other people, but an inward desire to honor God. I'm sure all of you know, and maybe you've done this, obeyed your parents, did what your coaches wanted you to do, but your heart wasn't in it at all. You did it just because you had to, but in your heart you hated it, and in the moment kind of hated them, like the older brother of the prodigal son. He did a lot of what his dad was telling him to do, but It was just no love there. It was all obligation. When Paul says obedient from the heart, he's saying for you, Christian, it's not like that. Paul's thanking God that as a Christian, you've been saved and transformed. The miracle is that you want to obey Jesus now. It's a heartfelt obedience. Scripture says in 1 John 5, 3, that his commands aren't burdensome. Because to the Christian, you know what's burdensome? Sin. Sin is burdensome. Disobeying Christ is burdensome. Guess some lights turned on. The light of Christ. (laughs) Burdens are gone. Chains are (laughs) free. Come on. Amen. (laughs) To the Christian, sin is burdensome, right? Obeying Jesus is a joy. Obeying Jesus is true life. And when we do sin, because you still will, you know that, we confess it, repent of it, and flee from it, and run back to our forgiving Savior and our loving Lord. It's heartfelt obedience, and this heartfelt obedience is commitment to the standard of teaching, it says in verse 17, and that's just God's word. A true mark of a believer is to trust, to love, to submit, and to have heartfelt obedience to the word of Christ, even the duties of the Christian life, are a delight for a believer made new by Jesus. And this is exactly what Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 prophesy with the new covenant. That God will give us new hearts that make us careful in longing to obey his word. But verse 18 continues. With the heart change, Paul also says, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So not only is our hearts changed, but we're set free from slavery to sin. It's penalty and power, and now we're slaves to righteousness, slaves to doing what Jesus says is right, rather than slaves of sin, doing whatever the flesh and what's evil says is right and whatever feels good and stuff like that but I want to have a real moment with some of you, right? Some of you may hear all of this and say, great, freedom from slavery to sin. And you say, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Lord. I love him, but I still feel, or I don't feel, set free from sin. I long in my heart to obey Jesus, but I fall short all the time. That may be some of you here today, but i hope you can be encouraged. Because no matter what you feel, this scripture is true. You have been set free from sin, Christian. And, and, and remember Romans 6.12 that you looked at last week. It, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Be encouraged, Christian, that you have been set free from sin through Christ. But sin remains in the Christian life, but it doesn't have to, and it must not reign in the Christian life. Sin remains in the Christian life, but it doesn't reign over the Christian's life because Jesus reigns. He's our master. He's our Lord. So when you sin, and you will, You show yourself and you show this text to be true, that you've been set free from sin, actually, and how you respond to it. Christians respond to sin with repentance, confession, hating it, putting sin off and putting on righteousness. Both believers and unbelievers sin. The difference is in how Christians respond to it, how Christians run from it, grow out of it. And become more like Jesus. A life that's obedient from the heart to God includes confession, continual repentance, and not just struggling with sin, wrestling with sin, but fighting it and remembering the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners and he'll finish the good work he started in every single one of you believers. We have a new allegiance as slaves to Christ, and new affections in our heartfelt obedience to Christ, whom we love. Look with me to verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul is acknowledging here in verse 19 that slavery is a limited, imperfect analogy for the Christian life. But it's appropriate and necessary here because he's emphasizing our allegiance and obedience to Jesus. In this latter half of verse 19, Paul talks about what we once were as slaves to impurity and what we now are. As slaves to righteousness. And I know you guys have all heard the phrase, been there, done that. Like when I took my recruiting trip uh, for football to San Diego State, they gave me a host. He took me around the campus. Any question I had, anything I wanted to see, he basically could answer all of it with been there and done that. That's what the apostle is saying here in verse 19. Look at it. He says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. He's saying, Christian, you've already been there and done that when it comes to being a slave of sin and seeing where it leads to. Being a slave to impurity, it leads to lawlessness, escalating wickedness, more and more ratchet living. Sin is never satisfied. You know that. Sin always wants to graduate, always wants to go to the next level. You can't get sin out of your system. It's like a tapeworm that just keeps eating and it just wants more and more and more. You know that. So why would you go back? You have a new master in Jesus. You have a new heart that loves him and wants to obey him. So he's telling us in verse 19 to give yourself, as Jesus' slaves, as get, get, give yourself to be a slave of righteousness. And where does that lead to? It leads to sanctification. It leads to you becoming more like Jesus. It leads to you growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It leads to Jesus increasing and you decreasing. So looking at these few verses and considering that we as believers have a new heart, I want to just ask you, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Following Jesus is not only about your head, what you know to be true, but it's also about your heart, particularly when it comes to obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience is the fruit of love. Where's your heart? What's the love of your heart? It ought to be preeminently be Christ. And he's totally worthy of it considering who he is and what he's done. Obedience is relational and has everything to do with love. Your heart should be captivated by Jesus and all of his glory, all of his beauty and compelled to obey him. Not behavior modification, not just acting a certain way so people think you're a good kid, but heartfelt love and life lived for Christ, presenting yourself to him. Continually set your heart on Christ who made it new. And if you're here and you heard that question, where's your heart? And you say, well, it's not in a good place. I can look at my life. I can look at my heart and I know it's not in a good place. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord to reveal to you where the sin is so you can repent of it. So you can confess it and run to Jesus. Because remember, Luke 7 tells us he's the friend of sinners who revives your new heart and gives life to dead hearts. So if your heart's not in a good place, recognize it. Repent, confess it, and run to Jesus. He welcomes and receives sinners. We're looking at three reasons the grace of God isn't licensed to sin so that you'll gladly obey Jesus from the heart. We've seen the first reason is that we have a new master, and the second reason that we have a new heart We come to the third reason in verses 20 through 23. We have a new life, a new life, namely a transformed life and eternal life. Verse 20 reads, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In this verse, the apostle Paul is helping us to consider our new life By remembering the old life as slaves to sin. But if any of you are here today and say, I'm not a Christian and I know that to be the case, know that you're still a slave to sin. And what Paul is explaining here is actually a biography of your life and where you're at. You may say you're free, but that freedom is really just slavery to sin. In, in verse 20, what we see is that being a slave to sin does come with a type of freedom. And that freedom is f- free from the obligation to do right or to obey God. There's no conscience. There's no care for God. You don't feel bad about stuff. You just turn it up. Reckless living. Maybe some of you have friends like that. Maybe some of you are living like that. Maybe some of you Christians see people like that and find yourself even envious at times. But I would encourage you not to just consider the ease of those living without Christ, but to consider their end. That's what the Apostle Paul does here. Verse 21, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul's saying the freedom from the obligation to do right, to follow God, to follow the Lord, the freedom of being a slave to sin, it only leads to shame and death. The fruit, the results, the benefits, it's shame. It's guilt. More practically speaking, it's getting drunk and stuff, but then blacking out. It's addictions. It's broken families and relationships. It's being far from God and then dying, not just physically, but eternally. Separation from him. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, this is your life and that will be your end. But it can all change today if you come to Christ. Because he receives sinners. But the Apostle Paul is saying, Christian, Why would you present yourself again to sin slavery? You're under grace. You've been freed from that. That will only lead you to shame and death. So remember where it leads to. And that's a reason not to go back. But then look to verse 22. I love the words, but now. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul is showing us here that for you, Christian, brother, sister in Christ, you've been set free from sin. So slavery to sin, shame and the eventual death that comes with it. That's a thing of the past for you. Tonight, Some of you will be baptized, and you'll talk about coming to Christ and your life before Christ. The slavery to sin that was there, the shame, the guilt, it's all a thing of the past. And the fear of eventual death and judgment, it's gone because of Christ. You've been set free through the grace of Christ, who covers all of your sin who drowns all of your shame and guilt with his blood that he shed on the cross and and gives us new life, no longer belonging to sin as slaves, but slaves, sons, and daughters with God, at peace with God, reconciled to God, restored relationally with the one who made you, sustains you, and loves you. What's the fruit of this slavery to God? This slavery to Christ, it's sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. And what's the end? Eternal life, everlasting joy, knowing God through Jesus without sin, shame, suffering, or sorrow in eternity forever. Isn't that what your lo- heart longs for? To be more like Jesus, more loving, more joyful, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? How different will do, do relationships look, look like when we're Christ-like? How, how much more are we a witness to unbelievers of the power of the gospel? Doesn't your heart long to be more like Jesus? And the reality is, the more you become like him, the more of you you truly become, all that God made you to be. Doesn't your heart long for Christ-likeness? Does your heart long for Eternal life, being forever truly alive without sin, sorrow, shame, all your tears wiped away. This is the sweetness of slavery and allegiance to King Jesus over sin. It's a transformed life and then true eternal life. Then we come to verse 23. In reality, this verse is the answer of verse 15. I'll read verse 15 again, the question, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, or but the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we not freely sin since we're under grace? Well, we're not slaves to sin anymore. And the wages of sin is death. And notice how it says wages there. Sin once again proves to be a terrible master, a tyrannical, evil lord. Sin is a master that gives you wages, Gives you what you deserve in a life of sin and rebellion to God, repeatedly, habitually rejecting Christ, running from Christ. The only wage, the only thing earned is death, both physical and then eternal, separate, separation from God and judgment. But the grace of God, the free gift of God, the good news of the gospel is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice, God doesn't give us what we deserve or what we earned. God shows us grace. God gives unearned and unmerited favor, blessings that we don't deserve, namely eternal life in Christ Jesus. We believe, we embrace, we repent of sin and embrace Christ. And if you haven't, you should do that today. You're united to Jesus and share eternal life with Him, our resurrected King. Hear the good news of the gospel here that makes you say, Why would I ever want to be a slave to sin or give myself to its slavery? The, 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 The world talks so much about energy and karma. If you give out good vibes and energy, you'll get it back. Or karma, you do good things, it'll come back to you. You do bad things, and I just want to trust my karma. You know where karma gets you? Death. Karma's the first part of Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. If anyone thinks their karma or their energy is going to land them in a good place, it's foolish deceit. The wages of sin is death. That's where karma gets you. That's all that we deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that there is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came on a rescue mission, born of a virgin in the likeness of sinful flesh, but the God-man, truly God, truly man. Jesus was tempted every way and yet without sin. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly in the exact opposite way of us and how we failed it and disregarded it. And then Jesus in his love and his grace and his mercy and his selflessness laid down his life, died on the cross and took this very wage. The wages of sin is death. Jesus laid his life down on the cross, died as a substitute for all that would believe in him and the wages that you deserve. Jesus took on the cross and he said it is finished. The wage has been paid in full. And he's completely vindicated and shown to be victorious in his resurrection. And if you would repent, turn from your sin, turn from trusting your own righteousness, your own goodness, and trust in Christ, embrace him, believe upon him, he receives you, bestows upon you the riches of his love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and salvation, unites you to himself as a body to a head or a bride to a groom, and gives you eternal life. There's a broad way that ends in destruction. There's the narrow way, Christ, that ends in life. Come to Christ today if you haven't. He will receive you. And be encouraged, Christian, by the gospel to keep going, to keep following Jesus, to flee from sin, to run to his arms daily, rejoicing in his grace upon grace. The reasons God's grace isn't licensed to sin is because we have a new master, a lovely Lord, a new heart with new affection and love and a new life, namely life eternal. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We have the power to say no, to follow and obey Christ. We're slaves of the greatest master, the lovely, gentle, and lowly Lord Jesus who's given us his spirit to follow him well. I read a story recently about a former Duke of Windsor, a prince named King Edward the of the United Kingdom. In 1972, he died in Paris, and that night the news was just talking about his life, recalling facts and stuff, and it recalled how his dad was a really strict disciplinarian, and when he misbehaved, he would tell him, my dear boy you must remember who you are because our identity precedes our activity. And God our Father in this text really tells us the same. Why does his grace not lead you to just sin against him? Because as his beloved child, you're a slave to sin no more. We must remember who we are and whose we are, we belong to a new master, a good shepherd. Jesus, praise be to His name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray to you in the name of Christ, our Master, our Lord, our Savior, Redeemer, and King. With the Apostle Paul, we cry out, "Thanks be to God." In and of ourselves, we are we were slaves of sin. And the wages of that sin and slavery is death. Lord, we thank you and praise you for a savior who laid down his life, died as our substitute, rose in victory, savior, redeemer, son of God and king. We praise you for Christ and the life that he gives us. In Jesus' name, amen.